everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of I'm Socially Distancing With. Uh, today we are joined by art activist, performer and social justice advocate Jade Pollard Crow. Welcome. Hi, thank you very much. It's lovely to be with you this evening. It's great for you to join us. How are you doing? I'm well, yeah. I've been looking forward to this actually a lot, so it's sort of perked my day up. <laughs> Awesome. I hope I hope it's everything you're you're hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure on me, but yeah, it's gonna be a great one. Good question. Um, now for any new listeners who may be um, listening for the first time, um, a quick sort of introduction. Um, my name is Jack, I use he him pronouns, uh, and I'm a youth worker here at the Kite Trust, uh, which is a youth organisation that supports LGBTQ plus young people up to the ages of 25 in Cambridgeshire. Um, and I believe, Jane, you you are sort of you've you've been to the kite trust before. This is not your first time. I right? have. I feel like I'm a kite trust veteran. <laughs> I you you can't join more than I. Awesome. Um, so without further ado, we'll sort of jump into the into the questions. Um, but firstly, uh, what we normally do when we're at group, um, and you might remember this from, from sort of your time, is we like to ask, um, uh, introduce our names, uh, our pronouns, and a silly question to sort of break the ice. Uh, and the question that I had was, um, if if someone came up to you and said they were your, they were your personal assistant, what would you have them do? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> This is very boring. I would have them do all my like things like taxes. I would have them go through any kind of complex form, any form that like makes my head hurt. That is what they would be doing. There would be no treats. <laughs> there would be no good times. They would be looking at those forms. <laughs> No treats, just endless taxes. Endless forms, yeah. Anything like that. Electricity bills, anything. <laughs> Love it. But, yeah, I think a lot of people are, are with you on that. Um, uh -huh. And you just introduce your name and your and your pronouns. Sure, um, I'm Jade, and um, I generally go, yeah, by she, her. I have a quite a fluid understanding of my womanhood, um, but for me, woman is how I identify at this time. Awesome, lovely. Um, so, uh, for any listeners who might not know about you, um, how would you describe your work and, yeah, the, the practice that you do? Yeah, okay, thank you. So, like, yeah, I'm a uh, visual and performance artist. I kind of developed my performance art during my undergraduate degree. Um, I started to realise that the only way I could talk about the body was through the body. Um, these abstract forms of representation weren't working for me. Although I still do love um, other forms of art, such as printmaking. But I started, yeah, so I did um, a performance and it all sort of kicked off from there, really. I mean, I was an artist before that, but my performance practice developed there. And uh, I, yeah, I kind of became a queer performance artist. Mm -hmm. um, so in the like kind of mid 2000s, I did some Vogue performances. Um, I was looking very much at the intersection of race, gender and sexuality um, and how that comes to be understood within the body and external to it. And then I decided after my undergraduate degree, okay, I want to theorise around the concepts that underpin my practice. So I, then I went and did a, I had a couple of years out, and then I went and did a master's at the Institute for of Gender, Race, Sexuality and Social Justice at UBC in Vancouver, which, yeah, now I'm kind of sitting with all the knowledge that I kind of garnered there, and I'd love to reinsert that knowledge into my art practice. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, that, that all sounds incredible, and just, yeah, <laughs> a, a, Thank you. a range of stuff there. Um, and you sort, of, you sort of mentioned it a little bit there, but like, what sort of attracted you to sort of performance and sort of, and to performance art and visual art? Like, you sort of mentioned how you were sort of looking at about, you know, talking about the body through the body. Um, yeah, what's yep. first sort of attracted you to that? Yeah, well, I think, um, so I'm British Jamaican, and I think that performance art in various black history and understanding has always been. 
um, it's often been used uh, both for cultural expression and also in response to situations and circumstances that have arisen. So I definitely think there's some of that there. In terms of visual art, when this sounds really cliched, but when I was a child, I used to say, like, I want to be a drawer. That was before I knew the word artist. I was like, I want to be a drawer. And I was always drawing and I was always painting. Um, and I was always just like doing art. Um, and my, I kind of, my, even in GCSE, my art teacher was like, I think you really need to pursue your art, Jade. Um, and then at A level, you know, I did art, English literature, and politics which I think, yeah, definitely the art and politics to me had an interaction. Um, and then I did an art foundation, which was great to like, I did printmaking for a year. Um, and actually my final major project was looking um, at a, kind of like the history of homosexuality. So obviously that's a huge topic. So I picked certain, yeah, like a whole library, I picked certain, um, concepts that had come up, um, certain events, uh, looking at certain people, and I settled on um, looking at Harvey Milk. And yeah, I did um, some screen prints there, but it still didn't feel like I was getting at what I wanted to get at. Performance art allows me to do that, and it's actually something that's a particularly queer people of colour, both here in the UK and elsewhere, are engaging in and have been engaging in. And I think we're able to confront via our bodies, if that makes sense. We're able to confront expectations. Um, we're able to play with and create identities on the stage. Mm. Um, and I think that for me at least, and when I say that, I don't necessarily mean a big stage, it might be on the street, but um, I think that performance art allows for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And when you sort of talk about sort of identities on stage, what sort of identities have you have you personally explored on stage and um, yeah. work? Yeah, sure. So I've looked a lot at the sexualization of black women compared with the hyper-masculine. I, I, I kind of call it like the hyper-masculine that's asserted on black men. Mm. Um, and I feel like there are two expectations in pop culture, but they also transcend pop culture into the day-to-day. -day. So mm. I look at critiquing those, um, and as somebody who's very androgynous, I often sit in between those, mm. which I think is quite a productive space to critique them personally. Um, I've also played a lot around um, played around a lot with voguing um, and ballroom culture, both seriously and in a more fun kind of campy manner. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, definitely for me as a queer person of colour, that feels like a good space to occupy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess also I think people have heard of voguing, and I think um, yes. as more culture, um, and I think, yeah, it's slowly, yeah, I think people have heard of it, but they're not quite certain of the history around it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Particularly for queer people of colour, that was that was their scene, that was their community that they created. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny because often with voguing, people might think more of um, trans women um, and they also might even think of like drag queens. Um, but for me, so I've done some drag kinging. I also identify with that othering that was kind of cast upon those people in the original um, ballroom scenes. And you're right, people have heard of it, but I try to signal to the history. I think it's quite important that it's not completely usurped by um, mainstream culture. Yeah, no, completely. And you sort of mentioned about sort of drag kings, and I definitely, I feel like, um, you know, you've got you've got shows like RuPaul, which is very much sort of exploded into mainstream and portrayed, yeah, the, the cis, predominantly white gay man approach yes. to drag and drag queens. Absolutely. Do you want to sort of give a little bit about um, drag kings and that otherness? Because I think that's, yeah, I think that's not particularly ever sort of really talked about or explored. Often. No, 
Yeah, okay. So for me, so I can just speak from my kind of opinions and my understanding and research, I think in the same way that being a lesbian has never really been popular in the way that being a kind of cis gay male has, and in the, both in terms of uh, pop culture and mainstream understanding, but also in terms of like progression and like socioeconomics, um, kind of, and in terms of celebrations of history, I think that this has majorly affected the way drag kings have been read. They've been read as like not campy, as not like pageanty, as not kind of doesn't captivate you in quite the same way. And often drag kings, although they might be very fun, there's a political undertone there. It's not just about some kind of show. Mm. Um, and I think as soon as we, at least from my experience, as soon as you get political, people do uh, <laughs> glaze over slightly. Um, doesn't always happen, but often does. Whereas I think, I mean, even if we look at the Stonewall riots, mm. if you look at like Stormy, who was there and, um, you know, she was a uh, black mixed race, butch lesbian, you know, she just isn't held up in quite the same light as the other people, even like Marsha P. Um, and so, and I think that there is an element of that within the othering of drag kings. Mm. I would definitely say, you know, obviously in London, there's a lot of drag kings, but still, you know, like what you said about, like, you know, RuPaul and stuff, the drag kings that are able to achieve that kind of fame, not that that would be my kind of goal, but they are performing a type of identity that's going to be popular with Mm -hmm. mainstream audiences. Mm -hmm. That's my feeling if I've answered. Yeah, yeah, completely. And yeah, I, I definitely feel that, yeah, that that moment for for dragons and like you said like that that type of identity hasn't come out yet or hasn't yeah. sort of been put on show um but yeah definitely sort of like a disconnect and i may i may jump back to drag kings later later in the interview but yeah it's definitely something really interesting and something that i'm always constantly learning i'm sure um other people are too um so uh you sort of talked a bit about the places that you sort of um performed your work uh what what kind of places have you taken it to when you're talking about a stage stages okay so i will uh take us back to i think it was 2014 (laughs) up in leeds um i performed for or i was commissioned which was very uh very nice um i applied and then they said yes we will commission you um for compass live art festival which is actually one of the uk's biggest live art festivals um and it happens in leeds and it's run by two fabulous and fantastic people who are really committed to supporting artists and supporting the production of live art, um, Annie and Peter. I just, yeah, I can't sing their praises more. Um, So essentially, so I'll just explain what I did. Um, I occupied the really huge um, shopping centre in Leeds and outside of a shop with like i think it might have been claire's it was one of the shops that like they kind of target teenage girls because what i'm very um aware of especially for me who was really androgynous and really kind of hated this like you know you walk into boots or like debenhams or somewhere and you know they kind of target teenage girls trying to promote makeup and trying to promote specific beauty ideals um i'm very aware of that so i set up outside there and i had a red carpet i had two stools i had an ipod docking station with two big speakers but also like my own cd player and i was in drag i set up um my drag stand which had my crepe hair it had my different pens um it had what i use so i use a whole variety of uh i misuse a whole variety of makeup which is very (laughs) very successful for drag uh yeah um i basically use it yeah like how i see fit Mm -hmm. i had all that set up and i was dressed quite sort of fabulously in this kind of 50s outfit with a leotard um Mm -hmm. and i was uh so I'm like voguing away 
um, <laughs> with my music playing and a crowd would form. And then what I did when a crowd formed, I broke out and I became like those assistants in mm. the shop. And I was approaching particularly young girls and asking them if they'd like to come and see my products. And obviously they saw all the great pair. Mm. And then what I essentially asked them is if they would be interested in me giving them some kind of beard mm. and or any kind of drag makeup. And I was had been very worried that like no one would say yes to this. <laughs> Actually, a hell of a lot of people did say yes. And they were really into it. I was very happy with the audience participation. Mm. And then so it wasn't I didn't want them to feel some pressure to try and vogue or something, you know. Mm. They could mm. go down the catwalk how they wanted to, what made them feel fabulous. But there was a lovely I kind of when I was applying the makeup that's when I kind of broke out of this persona and talked to them in a very human on a very human level and I really connected nicely with people I felt um and then yes they would either choose to dock their iPod or I they could choose from my music list and they'd go down the red carpet and then I would vogue after them <laughs> and uh yeah so I did this for the entire day of um the festival because it ha it spread out over Leeds so you have yeah. some people in galleries you have some people outside but I was here in this shopping center and uh yeah and I had a whole like I had groups asking me to do like the entire group <laughs> and uh some like older people as well asking me um, so yeah, that was a shall we say a different stage. That's incredible. Like in a shopping centre, just like yeah. we're gonna be doing some bowing or some drag makeup. Like yeah. that is incredible. Oh, fab. Um, and sort of sort of stemming from that, um, and us talking about identity. How much would you say parts of that work link to parts of your identity? Um, yes, yes, they definitely do. Um, so yeah, I identify as both queer and lesbian. I'd say like lesbian speaks about my sexuality, as queer is more my understanding of the world, my understanding of my femininity. I have quite a queer understanding of this. Um, and also I say that lesbian speaks to my sexuality, but I have quite a queer understanding of what that might mean. Mm. Um, definitely I'm not somebody with like a binary understanding of what that might mean and I think with this performance I was trying to push against so many norms so many binary understandings of like okay you're a girl and I certainly don't critique girls who do actually like makeup I just don't think it should be imposed upon them in the same way in the way that it still is um, I was kind of trying to push upon that. Um, I was pushing upon like also what you can do with a space, which I think speaks to my identity as somebody who often breaks into spaces that are meant to be um, kind of not for my body. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think definitely my un my enjoyment of drag, I was trying to offer up that possibility of drag and performance and gender fluidity and you know i'm somebody i don't mind staying on tape like i can suffer anxiety and i think it's really great to show people look you know if i can go down this red carpet so can you and look at how fabulous it is and it's very freeing so yes i do think aspects of who i am and my identity were definitely present in the performance that, that's incredible and, like, and again you sort of mentioned sort of and touched on this briefly but you know you sort of talked about entering spaces that are not for your body and sort of how how have how have, has that experience been entering spaces that are typically cis typically white um spaces yeah. you sort of come in with your work how's that sort of been and has that has that affected your work at all Oh, how do I think that's affected my work? I think I've felt othered as a racialized person in predominantly white queer spaces. Mm -hmm. So some performances I've done in London whereby it's been groups and then we've either done like 
individual or collaborative performances, I definitely felt quite othered. Even by some of the questions that some people might think are interested, interesting and provoke conversation, I feel like they're very racially othering. So for example, asking like, I mean, is there even a need to come out anymore? Like, do we need queer as a word? Mm. That's not really giving any room for different cultural understandings. Like, you do not understand your position here as maybe, like, white British, like, male um, who feels like, you know, you're living in London and there's no need for you to even think about these things. Mm-hmm. That's felt quite othering. Um, in terms of, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I'll stick with that. That um, That's, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and I think what you've you've hit perfectly. Yeah, that sort of idea that how, and we, we were talking a bit about this before, sort of the interview about sort of okay. language and the idea of yeah, like this idea that there's only one way to express yourself, and why do we need sort of any other way? And I think rightly as you just said, it's sort of then instantly you've diminished any other sort of cultural um, identity yeah. there that use different languages that, that have that own language um, yeah. by going, no, we don't, we don't need to do that anymore. We can just focus on this one. Yes. Like, yeah, it's completely. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, we need to remember who we are and our mm. positionality when we're kind of making these grand statements mm-hmm. um, and, like, kind of speaking maybe for others that don't feel very represented by that. Um, yes. Yes, and it's definitely a problem that I've encountered, like, even, like, here in Cambridge, and, yeah, all over the country and further. No, absolutely. Um, So do you have any key times or places that you feel really helped you understand your identity whilst you were growing up? You sort of mentioned about academia being a way of finding you that language, um, but are there any other sort of, like, key times where you've had that Um, well, actually, speaking of the Kite Trust, <laughs> back when it was um, sexuality and I was a member of the group, I really, really felt like I was able to comfortably say I'm a lesbian and then it was just understood within that group and I felt very supported. I, uh, we developed, which I know is still happening, which is so amazing, we developed the programme of going into schools and delivering workshops with the young people. And I felt I really expanded as a person during those years and that experience actually. And then when we furthered the project, so we weren't just working with young people, we were also working with professionals. You know, I think you're getting this this experience of leadership and you're being listened to by older kind of professionals which was fantastic but you're also collaborating with each other right like we had to listen to each other and I think through that a lot of personal growth and development happens and through interacting with the young people who were only obviously a couple of years younger than us but just having this experience maybe even some of our own notions of identity would get challenged or like hearing, we used to do a value line. So we'd say a statement and then we'd get the young people to stand, agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. And hearing them debate, you're getting different perceptions, different perspectives. That I think really allowed for identity growth. Um, absolutely. Those years for me were really, really, I think, integral to the person <laughs> it sounds very cliched but the person i am now definitely mm-hmm. um and i think it's so wonderful how now there is so much kind of fluid understanding and more language but definitely when i was younger like it was still very taboo like mm-hmm. i was one of the only out lesbians really in my school there was somebody a few years above me and then when they left it was kind of like I was known as the kind of lesbian and yeah so for me group was just vital a vital resource mm-hmm. yeah and, it, and it's great as you mentioned that sort of building identity and yeah having that space and having that group to yeah to, to definitely question like things as well like I think that's a big thing that um we don't sort of look at that those spaces are there for people to question like 
not only just language but also themselves and 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 how they fit into it all um so it's great to hear your experience of how that helped build that identity having those talks and discussions um which you've rightly said are like really important to have absolutely yeah and i think um i loved having like the volunteers like Mm -hmm. i really could connect with these older people um and understand because i especially when you know that they just get what you're saying because often when you're um accessing other services that maybe aren't specific to your um, sexuality or gender or your race or something you know um you might appreciate the person but feel like they probably don't understand what you're saying so that was just so um yeah really really great yeah, the volunteers, I think, are like that, the unsung heroes, sort of old. <laughs> but you're right, I think it is, it's, it's, yeah, it's empowering to see someone who's maybe five or ten years or, or more older than you sort of yeah. like having a life and, like, yeah, or like having yes. a career or yes, going out exactly. yeah, and experiencing yeah. the world. Um, but they may also, yeah, have with their sexuality and or gender um yeah. and also race and religion as well like all those different yes. factors in um are, are really empowering to sort of see and to connect with absolutely yeah, yeah. that's really good yes what you just touched upon seeing how like oh this person's really happy and this person is successful there's futurity definitely mm-hmm. i do remember you know when i was younger the very difficult years and then you kind of thought that you were going to be down and never meet anyone ever and it's like oh hang on a minute look at all these people they're yeah. happy some of them are in relationships but others that aren't are happy and yeah okay there's futurity there yeah absolutely um it's all linked on to that um people talk sort of a lot about self-care um um but community care and taking care of each other is also important um do you have any tips of how we can practice or how you practice self-care and community care okay so the first thing that i want to say is i love this question because i do think that the drive towards self-care is creating maybe a little bit of an undertone of narcissism and then people are forgetting the communal care. And I think both need to happen at the same time. So I think, so in terms of self-care, I think there's a lot going on in the world at the Mm. moment. I mean, I know there always has been, but I definitely think with lockdown, with Black Lives Matter, with maybe people might have people that are sick, obviously in so many different countries like i'm very anxious but yeah i I won't go into it but like various um countries that i'm really concerned for that i'm also really proud of like protesting and all that there's a lot going on and i think that how you can practice self-care is like limit your exposure to that and that's really difficult sometimes especially when we really care but what often happens is nothing's being helped by your oversaturation of this these images and this knowledge mm. it's great to keep yourself educated and up to date mm. but don't beat yourself up taking a break for that mm. um make sure to reach out to people even you know i've had a couple of people reach out to me recently who i hadn't seen in ages and i really don't mind at all because i was like wow how nice that they thought of me as a person that could maybe lift them up you know don't suffer in isolation Mm. and i know some of us have a tendency to do that or like uh we'll kind of just be like yeah you know like i'm going to get through this or i I, i'm I'm just going to deal with this this isn't going to be forever Mm -hmm. actually don't take that mentality to in my mind do reach out to someone um or reach out to people um and so many of us you know imagine it's you you wouldn't mind being contacted by a friend or someone so you know they're not going to mind either um those are a couple of yeah things and yes i suppose it sounds a bit boring but like definitely take care of yourself in terms of you know healthy eating or just say you know drinking water these are really lame things but they do matter (laughs) i felt unwell during academic times where i'm not really eating and then i'm like oh my gosh i feel like really ill (laughs) yeah yeah definitely uh make sure you're keeping yourself nourished Um, in terms of communal care okay so there's one thing that i will say to begin with when we need to do something 
that's going to ultimately cause pain or hurt to somebody else. I think we need to remember that there are ways we can do that with compassion. So even though the end result is still going to be that person is in pain, you've reduced the harm that's been caused in that situation. Instead of just ripping that band-aid off, you've given them the most kind of compassionate hurt that they can get, which when someone's analysing how they've been treated, these little details matter. I think we can make sure that we're creating links with each other and keeping up to date. So I'm saying about reaching out, but that's a two-way thing. We can make sure that we're even checking in on people um, and trying to recommend not everyone is um, comfortable with maybe Skyping and linking, but like maybe see if there's any other ways that we can be creating um, community. Mm. Um, yes, I think I think uh, these are some ways that I'd say. I'm really surprised. I like you. Yeah, I, and just hearing you say that, um, it's really just sort of eye-opening. Also confirms a lot. I think we're all guilty of definitely the the oversaturation of stuff. I think, yeah. um, you know, recently being on social media or watching the news constantly or just yeah. constantly seeing. I think you're right. Like it is. It's great to educate yourself, but also, yeah, like being overwhelmed isn't going to help any that sort no. of. Thing. Um, it's not going to help you either. Um, no, it's yeah, yeah. And, it, and your sort of comment about sort of communal care as well, I think, is very is very vitally important, especially when you know sort of we cancel culture and calling out people and stuff. It is trying to find that way of, um, I guess, calling someone in rather than calling them out. You know, as you said, like doing it with that compassion and saying, yeah, and completely not just ripping off that band aid and and, oh, and going. Um, yes. Definitely. I think especially for anyone that's listening in that engages in online culture, you know, this calling out can be extremely toxic. Mm. And I don't see it as very productive at all. Mm. And I think when we silence, particularly people that are from our own minorities, Mm. like silencing them, (laughs) this isn't great. Yeah, Yeah, this is not great. And often people are coming from the same locale of pain and Mm. trauma that you yourself might be coming from. Mm. Not everyone also has the same understanding. So even when somebody says something that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you coming from this understanding would have that opinion, Mm. simply calling them out and shutting them down Mm. isn't going to help any further understanding what it's going to do is completely silence that person and then they might maybe exit the conversation but still have the original opinion that you hoped to challenge. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a lose-lose situation to really aggressively call them out, I think. No, completely. I think that's a great bit of just sort of advice for anyone listening to your takeaway with that. Because it's very easy to sort of get swept into the sort of online culture and, yeah, along with that, for sure. and so you've mentioned that you're you're an arts activist and you're a sort of um yeah social justice sort of advocate um what moments sort of got you um into activism um and was it um was it um something else that informed that activism so was it through your performance work the activism sort of went along with it or did your activism blossomed before the performance work or did it both sort of evolve naturally um yeah what made you into it um before definitely so it's like two things really so the first thing is so like i went vegetarian at like seven i was like very concerned with animal rights my mum was probably like oh my goodness who's my daughter I'm like yeah especially yeah i like uh yeah came out really early as well so she's probably like oh like yeah but um that that yeah i really cared about animals and somehow i understood that like the abuse I don't know how I really understood this. I had this knowledge that like the abuse of animals is linked to like the abuse of humans in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and there needs to be a more harmonious way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always something that I kind of carried with me. But, um, and I'm sorry for, um, I wonder if this is like traumatic for them to hear, but like, yes, I did have a very high amount of racism in my childhood like really strong from like age kind of four 
Um, I mean, I even remember, um, like, my neighbour was, like, here in Cambridge, um, like, throwing talcum powder out her window, saying, you need to be the right colour. Um, yeah, really, really awful. And there was a lot of racism in primary school. Um, I think my early, that's just one thing that I, I can just share, but um, multiple, multiple uh, racist incidents. And I think that my race, exposure to racism really made me somebody who would stand up. So I remember like there was a girl in my primary school, I was only in year six and this girl in year five was get, being bullied and I kind of witnessed it. And she was crying in this um, little kind of the cloakroom, you put your coat and I asked her, I said, oh, is this about how they're treating you each break time? Because I've seen it. And she was like, yeah. And then I got her up and I basically walked across the playground. I like went over to these girls and just had an absolute massive go at them about bullying. And like telling them like how awful it was. And like saying that like just so this girl was quite alternative. Like, I mean, we didn't really have alternative kids at primary school. So like I think that was she was new and I think that was making her um, the kind of subject to bullying. But I was saying like, you know, she's so fantastic and like i love her socks and i love her hair and like how dare you make her feel different and i was i just remember it i was really you know like really really angry and standing up to bullying and then in um secondary school i often stood up when i saw um bullying take place which i realized i had to like mediate because that can make the situation worse and a lot of people who have been bullied don't necessarily want you doing that so mm -hmm. i kind of had to realize okay that's not the right way to go about it but i always had this feeling of okay i want to like stand up and i was sometimes going on like animal rights marches um with my mother asking her if we could go on those and yeah i think also in terms of yeah like sexuality knowing so young yeah made me want to stand up for rights Mm. and made me want to kind of stand up against so it, in my my younger days I wanted to stand up against like homophobia and then when I understood more about trans identity I wanted to stand up against transphobia and I think yeah it stemmed from those early days actually um and then when I was an undergraduate I was creating these very politicized works but I wasn't getting involved in too much activism because I'm quite committal so I was someone like I was like oh I can't fully commit to any of that so I'm not going to get involved in too much activism but mm. I'm going to be making these politicized works which is a form of activism um, especially some of them were exhibited in gallery spaces so I think you're really sort of challenging audiences whereas with my graduate school I was able to do both and I was going to a lot of protests in Vancouver organizing a lot of protests around um right-wing speakers that were invited to the university um yes yeah, a lot of student mobilization so I think yeah different it's definitely all stemmed though from experience mm -hmm. I think my experiential knowledge is probably if Mm, it's quite a claim. I think that's really what underpins everything I've kind of done. Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. And yeah, I think I think I, 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 I like to think that a lot of people would resonate with that, knowing that those early experiences of yeah, sort of yeah, build you into that wanting to stand up. And it's and it's great that yeah, that that's so passionate in you, and that's something that you manage to sort of harvest. <laughs> Um, do you have any sort of tips for young people who may want to get involved in activism or um, particularly now obviously being in lockdown and then having to find ways of activism from home? Um, yeah. Do you have tips of how to get started for that? Yeah, I think, so through lockdown, as you say, it does differ. So like a lot of big gatherings aren't happening or it might even cause you anxiety, the idea of going to them. Mm -hmm. Um so I think the online does have some very good, um, you know, you might check out Galdem, for example, that is a online kind of blog and um, kind of like a media resource. Lots of POC and QPOC 
activism on there that you can kind of be reading and then thinking critically about where you find your place because that's the other thing you want to know what is it that really inspires you i mean i do go on like for example like a years ago i went on like an anti-trident march and i i go on other marches but i know like yeah like the uh i know what it is that really kind of uh, motivates me and I think you need to find what really motivates you because you probably wouldn't really want it to be like a kind of fad so you mm. want to yeah find what really impassions you and yeah I would say like read blogs like you might want to look at like political and activist zines they're mm. really great um, and you can even think about you know if you are artistic creating some of your own mm. yeah and then um, looking for how you could maybe get those um, circulated, which is definitely very possible with zines, I feel. Um, those are some tips. And after lockdown, I mean, obviously this is like age specific, so it depends on who is listening into this, but, you know, going to, for example, queer performance venues, um, for example, the RVT or places in London, you know, you can get ideas around how you can use performance as activism if that's something that interests you mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, those are all fabulous and I, it's interesting when you start talk about zines because we personally yeah. sort of a new um i wouldn't say obsession but it's a new thing that i sort of connected to i think there's something oh, yeah Ooh. It, it's definitely you know something that I know and quite a lot of people and I think again we talked about sort of earlier before the interview the idea of not everyone has high-speed internet not everyone has access to um, updated technology um, which is why I think things like zines and and um, people saying sort of analog technology but more postal stuff more physical I think actually increasing sort of in demand um, because yeah people want to get hold of it and still be feel connected to a community Absolutely. or to a group. Um, yeah. Have you got any things that you would recommend for people who might want to sort of explore them more, get into them? Um, so in, oh, are they in Leeds or Manchester? Jade, you're so annoying. Uh, they're in either Leeds or Manchester. <laughs> um, they're called Pen Fight Online and they um, they're like a feminist press, which is like really cool. They've got like some really great uh yeah like things that they publish but they often um have really great zines and they also often i know um it might be a big deal to travel up north i don't know um but uh they often will advertise politicized um zine workshops as well and i'm wondering almost you know i'm wondering if some of these could be digitized even if they are like recorded then even those of us who maybe have limited internet access might be able to watch them if we're with a friend or um something but yeah i would definitely say uh pen fight is a good one to check out that press yes so i'm adding that to my list that'll be my okay. new, my, my new go-to um and we saw uh you saw um talked about you know going through um like undergraduate degree and you did your masters all the way in vancouver um and i guess for, i guess for a lot of young people right now they're sort of they've just received a levels or so they're thinking sort of that next step for them um how what impa- what impassioned you to get sort of into academia and sort of really explore this because i think for a lot of people um or young people especially at secondary school the idea of maybe going into academia can feel a bit um feel a bit like a block um oh, yeah. because about stuff they're not into. How did you sort of get past that block and really get into subjects that you really wanted to do? Yeah, um, so I love art so much. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel that the year out, so I had a gap year, mm-hmm. that for me really helped my mental health and feeling that futurity is not so daunting. Well, like in ac- the idea of academia is not so daunting i would really recommend it for young people um rather because if you, some people obviously might completely disagree with me but from my perspective i mean that is extreme to go from reception to like the end of university with no break from education 
that is extreme. <laughs> I personally would, and then some people go on then to do their masters. Okay, mm -hmm. no, I think, you know, go and do something in life that you really want to do. So me, so I'm from a lower socioeconomic background, so I worked in bookshop for most of the year and I spent, um, sorry, I saved, not spent, yeah, <laughs> I saved a lot of money. And then I also worked with a church who helped me fundraise. And I actually went to Tanzania independently because um, I didn't want to go with like one of the big gap year organizations that are often quite problematic um, in certain especially in like Africa and stuff like I didn't want to go with those um so I went independently and I connected with a um street children's center Kuliana and I did a art project for basically two and a half months I was kind of teaching art to um boys from the age of like 13 to 18 and I think yeah like that experience just really clarified for me okay you know i really want to do art like i really really yeah <laughs> i really want to do art um this is a i already knew it but like it just really cemented it for me and yeah i think like as i said to you about accessing spaces that you are kind of othered from or that society doesn't feel like you should kind of be there yes as i say coming from a lower socioeconomic background being queer being black like mixed race i don't want myself denied from academia like, like if i can do this and i'm going to get a lot out of this why shouldn't i be there like i want to be there mm. um and it was yeah there for me it was the right choice and um, i understand it's not for everyone but for me it was the right choice and you know um bearing in mind i did the art foundation at cambridge regional college and then the gap year so yeah like i would definitely recommend if somebody is thinking hmm, maybe university for me but i'm really 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 not sure if there's maybe any kind of thing you could do at a regional college that might be great you know it's away from school it's not so tables and like whiteboards and stuff but like it uh it, it helps you really I, I think personally it really helped me think yeah okay this mm. is this is what we want to do yeah no I, yeah that is some great advice and I agree like it can feel a lot like especially when you say to someone who may be in secondary school or or thinking about options are like oh yeah now you got x y and z to now do mm. um, and for some people that, that that does work having those sort of clear goals but i definitely think yeah. some people there's that element of yeah wanting to sort of break that academia and just see what life is like and what is what's out yeah. there um and yeah definitely sort of similar to your experience like yeah doing things that you're passionate about and that you want to sort of explore yeah. and seeing yeah and seeing what sort of yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely say, just the last point on that, don't be yeah. discouraged by people saying things to you like, eh, what are you going to do with that? Because that's what I got with art, and look at the stuff I've done, that's mm -hmm. why when I say social justice, people are like, oh, what law? And I'm like, well, no, not for me. And then they kind of look at me like, well, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I'm here this evening, hopefully mm -hmm. giving some, you know, something helpful from this talk. So, yes, you yeah. follow your passions. Absolutely, absolutely. Always, always follow your passions. Um, yeah. Because you never know where they're going to lead you. Never know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you could, so we're going to get a little bit philosophical now, um, but if you could talk to a, a, a younger version of yourself right now, um, what age would that be and what advice would you, would you, would you give? Hmm. Version of myself right now. Um... So I think so from so at um age like eleven I um I developed anorexia mm. and I think that and then that kind of dominated a lot of my time and my mind up until about age eighteen. Mm. And I think I would definitely go back to that time and just tell myself how 
brilliant things will be mm -hmm. and how you do not need to choose this mm -hmm. like there are other options you don't have to choose this route mm -hmm. um because through this experience it became it became a choice however problematic that sounds it's about like control and when for me and when people feel like they just don't have other option this is the thing that they can control um i would definitely go back to that time and tell myself how many other routes mm. my life is going to take and i yeah. do not need to follow this route mm. um and actually obviously because it covers those years during my time from 11 to 14 so 14 was when i went to group mm. i would tell myself like you are gonna find someone i was like obsessed with this idea of being like alone because i was the only lesbian i knew <laughs> myself i didn't know <laughs> yeah and i kind of imagined that i was sort of never gonna find anyone else i'd go back to that time and you know it's because everyone's making such a big thing you're all new to like secondary school and it's like oh who's dating who like you know i tell myself don't worry actually um that this is a temporal situation um you will find someone and people and this is not always going to be so mm. i know that these are quite like troubling topics but you know it's positive to think okay i'm not there anymore mm. yeah yeah no i i think it's great what you sort of talked about i think the initial especially as you said being at school and maybe the only out person i think um to a degree a lot of um young lgbtq plus people can relate to that a lot um yeah. not having those visible role models in school or education mm -hmm. and so often feeling like oh okay so i'm just that person i'm yeah. i'm the gay kid or the queer kid or or or, or whoever um and sort of forgetting that actually you know there are there is a community out there and there are people that are, are getting ready to meet you and that are really yeah. want to be part of the world. Um, I think that's really important, especially sort of in these times. Um, and yeah, having having that thought of no, you know, this is temporary. There's a community out there. Um, they're just they're just waiting for me. Um, yes, or, absolutely. Yes, or, and especially like yeah, when I think about group and that when I think so, they used to take us to uh, the annual like Stonewall convention, and we'd meet all these other youth groups from around the country it's like ah <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> yeah and I think that's a big group like yeah just even knowing that there's other, other yeah. I think, and i think i think that's something for us here at culture so like, i think we don't forget but yeah it's incredible to hear of other um lgbt plus youth organizations and youth organizations in general sort of across uh, the country providing this sort of service and making these communities happen for young people it's yeah they yeah it, yeah. It, yeah reminds us that even we're not in isolation that we do have that <laughs> absolutely um so i've got i've got two more questions to okay. okay um so one of them is uh what are three bits of content so this could be books video games we've we've already talked a little bit about, about zines and um, it could be songs uh whatever um so what sort of three bits of content uh have you got lined up uh or that you've been um using through lockdown that sort of got you through um lockdown mm, okay so like i'll say talk about like yeah lined up so i'm gonna reread um freedom is a constant struggle by angela davis i'm gonna reread it because everything what we were talking about the oversaturation of everything mm -hmm. like this book is very empowering and is very inspiring and reminds you of various forms of solidarity through struggle um and you know sometimes you can feel overwhelmed but then when somebody clarifies for you what it is that you're thinking even though it's the same content you're like yes exactly thank you okay this that's for me what that, that book really did on so many different levels so i'm going to reread that and i yeah like you know i'm really inspired by angela davis anyway so um yeah i'll read read that in terms of what i want to watch i want to watch something fun and queer 
So any recommendations my way would be really, yeah, really, really appreciated. Um, in terms of the, um, so yeah, that will be movies. In terms of television, I feel a hurt who I really, really like actually. She's like a kind of um, British like historian. She's been doing like African Renaissance um, mm -hmm. on the television which yeah it's just great like pulling from this art history poetry like um social histories yeah it's and because it's her i knew that the program would be in capable hands so uh yes that's been something great but yeah i would really like to watch something uh fun and queer so i might do some outreach of my own and contact some of my queer friends and see if they could watch like you might be able to recommend me I think fun and queer, oh gosh, um, <laughs> I, I, I maybe have to email you and like, yeah, have a little bit of like, oh yes, yeah. yeah, I think we all need something, yeah, just a little bit fun and queer at the moment, absolutely. Yeah. Um, awesome, and so one of my sort of final questions is, um, how can viewers follow you or find out more about your work, um, yes, and what is the most accessible to young people who may have limited funds, how can they find out more about you? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I've got my um, Cargo Collective website. Um, it's not the most kind of a modern website, but I re it really, like, it works for me. So, uh, yeah, you can find some of my past works there. Um, you can see my creative CV. And it's also got my email. So um, I'm definitely open to email. Cause I'm, you know, while I'm, especially while I'm in Cambridge, I am open to collaboration. Um, open to how I can get more involved with uh, kind of or like back how I can get back involved um, so yes I would definitely be interested in that I do have a Facebook which I am more than happy to connect with people but um, I would just appreciate a message first because when I get random requests they don't usually respond but uh, I do um, I have like some political posts there so that might be something that you might be interested in but yeah i'd say my cargo collective um i've also been doing um some talks with um for qti coalition of color um definitely would like to do some more of those i met with someone today who i think uh we will do one um, around art so yeah you can uh, look out for that too yeah those talks are incredible by the way i had a cheeky oh. little like watch and I really enjoyed um the, the now and um QTI's work are, are, is great so yeah if anyone's yeah. listening check them out they are they are yeah definitely check them out <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. um and so my final question uh, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with or any sort of final questions you want us to think over from this yeah thank you so much um well, I think, you know, I've seen from a distance looking at media, how the Kite Trust has gone from straight strength to strength. I've seen, like, obviously, like, Pride. Um, I've seen, like, in the, like, Cambridge Evening News. I've seen all the outreach in, like, different, like, villages and stuff, and I just think this is so fantastic. And I would just say to kind of, yeah, keep this up. It's so vital. It's vital for connections and community but it's also vital that um to just be boring and talk about like say funding and allocations it's important that uh, people understand that like lgbtq plus mm. is an area that really does require funding mm. so yeah i would say to you don't want to pander to that but definitely to be thinking about that mm. um because, yeah, I, I just really, really strongly feel when I'm thinking about so many different uh, minorities of different aspects, it's just something that I would say, especially for young people, it's just really, really important that funding is allocated. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking about that as we're talking. And, yeah, I'm thinking about how wonderful you are. <laughs> You've, like, been a lovely, uh, lovely host. And, yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the future. And I'm hopeful that, that young people aren't feeling so isolated. That's what I'm hopeful for. Jade, you've been fantastic. I've thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed this interview. It's, you'll, have, you'll have to come back. I say this all over, you have to come back. <laughs> incredible uh, to sort of, yeah, chat with you and to get that, yeah, perspective of, yeah, 
both sides of the calculus, I think it's quite a nice, unique sort of perspective. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been absolutely incredible. Um, yes, so um, that's all we have time for for today. Um, make sure that you catch our next episode of I'm Socially Distancing With. Um, yeah, and it's been fabulous to have you, Jane. Thank you ever so much for coming. Thank you very much. No worries. Uh, to everyone listening, hope you all take care. And yeah, we'll see you at the, see you at the next, next episode. This episode was brought to you thanks to sponsorship from Gilead.